Hello and welcome to Abnormal Mapping episode 34. I'm your host, Matthew Marker. With me is a regular second and third chairs, Jackson Tyler. Hello. And Destiny Sturdivant. Hi. And uh, we're here for a very special episode today in which we talk about talking about mental health. <laughs> Jackson, you want to talk about this a little bit? Uh, what you got? So... Uh, uh, this weekend, which is probably about three weeks ago now in your time, mm-hmm. uh, listeners, uh, the ADAF festival run. Well, no, ADAF, I guess, festivals in the initialism right there. But, uh, which is something run by Zlani Stewart, Solon Scott, and Austin Howe primarily as a way of promoting cool, interesting experimental games and uh, interesting talk about them. And I participated psst, psst, in a panel psst, there. Psst. What does ADAF stand for, Jackson? Alternative Digital Arts Festival. There you go. I guess I didn't say that, did I? <laughs> no, no, you did not. You did. No, 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 I like. Yeah, I refer- referred to it like you knew what it was while explaining about it. This is Radio One Hundred One here. It stands for as Dylan as fuck. <laughs> yeah, as Dylan yeah. as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good tweets. Good tweets. But no, I participated in a panel called Games and Mental Illness where we discussed games and mental illness and our relationship to mental illness and games and how that uh, like those intersect and we have that panel for you today yep uh i me and destiny listen to this panel live uh i told destiny to bring up her story in the chat <laughs> at some point <laughs> i got a skype message saying bring up her story and then i looked at the chat and then there was like three messages going her story jackson talk about her story <laughs> I didn't and I know could, I, if you were looking at your Skype. I, I, I had seen. Um, and I just imagined that, that Matt was like holding up a card on the side going, do it, do the thing. And I'm glad to know that that was the truth. Yep. Uh, yeah, because I was playing Jamestown and Destiny was in my chair looking at the chat. Mm-hmm. So um, we were just going to throw to the recorded audio of the panel. Um Let's hope that right now we don't have it. Let's hope that actually exists because otherwise we're going to re-record all this. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, weird. But no, if it's working, we will hear the panel. On it uh, is uh, me, Austin Howell, uh, who does Critical Switch with Zelani Stewart, uh, Heather Alexandra, who writes at Transgamer Think, friend of the podcast, yes, friend of the friend podcast, of the podcast yep. former guest, and uh, Zaya, who I've forgotten their last name. Which is bad of me. Oh no. But their last name's in the podcast. I just want to do a proper introduction to tell you where you can find them. They are at WoundWW on Twitter. I thought I'd do a yep. pre, pre-throw plug zone to let you know who's talking. Nice. Good call. Well, we, we will pitch that. Uh, and we'll be back to talk about uh, your feelings about the panel, Jackson. And maybe some addendums that uh, we thought about after the fact. We broke it down. 
I am Austin. I am Austin Howe. Uh, today I am joined by uh, Zaya Speed. Hey there. Uh, Heather Alexandra. Hello. And Jackson Tyler. Hello. Hi. And uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, um, today we're just going to be talking about mental illness in games. We're going to be talking about uh, how mental illness can be portrayed uh, and has been portrayed on a textual level, on a narrative level. You know, certain characters that exhibit certain uh, traits of mental illness, as well as um, uh, as well as just a second, just a second. As well as how mental illnesses can be portrayed on a, on a, on a on a systemic level in in you know in 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 the quote unquote gameplay or the interface or the interactions of a video game, and uh, you know maybe talk about how how mental mentally ill people have been portrayed before in in video games and talk about how those representations are can be a little bit bothersome and also maybe talk about a few examples of of how that has worked out well in certain cases and you know um representations of mentally ill characters that we find rather relatively empathetic um so um i ended up being kind of on the background for the organization of this panel and so i I wanted to start by asking you three all uh how you ended up why you were interested in talking about this um we can just start with we can start with zaya or heather or jackson whoever wants to go first and then we'll just move around no sorry i'm 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 happy to start um i'm zaya i'm a psychologist um so that's one reason (laughs) um i'm also a professional depressed person (laughs) and someone who has grown up around spheres of 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 disability and mental health advocacy um so this is this is a a topic quite close to my heart that would be pretty much the same story for me Um, like pretty much word for word um jackson um i am definitely the same (laughs) i um been a professional depressed person for way longer than I've written about video games. Uh, but the game that got me to start caring about this stuff was Actual Sunlight, mm-hmm. uh, which I played and then wrote like 10,000 words on because that's what you do when you've only just started writing about games and don't know how to do it yet. You just write uh, yeah. yeah, you just write all the words imaginable. Uh, and then just started considering it in different games and thinking about it and seeing how these representations like affected my own experiences or compared to at least... And I, I've always been interested in it because it's a, like a large part of my own identity. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, Heather, I want to hear from you, and then I want to, and then I want to say something real quick as well. Sure. Um, so I too have been a professional depressed person in in the past. I like to think that I no longer am, although that's uh, subjective, I suppose. And uh, this panel interested me not just because there are some ways in games where games build mental illness into their structures interested in in talking about, but also because games can be both therapeutic in terms of offering us sort of escape from some of our mental troubles, but also um, sometimes equally dangerous. So that sort of drawn my attention to this panel. Right. That was one of the things I was going to say was that when I was growing up and especially after particularly traumatic events in my life, I often found myself retreating into video games, video games that didn't necessarily have anything to do with mental illness. But I often found that like, you know, and, and it probably works the same way with other media as well, that um, 
that retreating into video games that you know you can just use it as a way to self-medicate when you're not seeing therapists and and or and or taking medication and uh it's and uh, i'm not i'm not sure if it's a it's it's probably not very effective uh in terms of actually in terms of actually in terms of actually helping but it was something that I, it was something that i definitely did a lot when i was a kid which was just when i was uber uber depressed just played lots and lots and lots of video games um so I don't was, think we should discount it like that. Like um, the way in which I mean, we it helped. It, it definitely games. helped. Yeah. yeah, I want to be. I want to be clear about that. I just want to say that it's probably better as well. To I mean, you should also like talk to therapists. You know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, but I don't want to take the like stance as a depressed person of like playing down the coping mechanisms that we've came up with. Right. Uh, they can be important, and even if they are unhealthy sometimes, it's important to acknowledge that we came up with them, and that is a part of us, and they can work on some level, and that's why we stuck with them. Right, yeah. Absolutely. I think, I think you know, the usual buzzword is um, escapism. You know, people use games yes. for escapism. But I, I don't think that's quite true. Um, mm-hmm. I think it can be true. I think you can sort of uh, use media to escape, obviously. You know, um, escape into another world, in the sense of escaping into another world. I think more often, though, um, it's just another avoidance strategy. Yes. Um, and that's a word I definitely prefer using because I feel it's more inclusive of, you know, um, people who may just, you know, be playing Candy Crush or, or whatever little mobile game that isn't, isn't you know, a grand fantasy adventure. Right. Um, right. Just as a form of, 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 of distraction. Because and, I mean, of... yeah, it's a, to- it's, it's a totally valid avoidance strategy that... Um, Yes, if you talk to a therapist, uh, I think that their eventual goal would probably be to um, get you not avoiding stuff. Right. I think there's yeah, there's definitely a good divide there to be made between like a, between avoidance and escapism. To where you know, I mean, one of them is just doing something as a distraction, and the other one is trying to imagine yourself in a situation where you feel empowered in a way that you don't feel empowered in real life. Which would basically be kind of a divide between, like you said, a Candy Crush or a Flappy Bird or 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 Threes or Minesweeper or something like that, and playing you know fantasy RPG, first person shooter, et cetera, et cetera, stuff that stuff that puts you in control of your own life. Um, at, at the same time that I say that I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't want to draw like a big sort of casual hardcore divide because, no, um, no. I mean, any game can absolutely just be avoidance instead of escapism. Um, for instance, one that comes to mind is, I don't know, Assassin's Creed or, or the Batman games where you can just kind of walk around the map and, and just sort of follow each icon and zone out and spend a few hours that way. Right. A complic- oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say right and then go on ahead, yeah. Sure. A complication to consider, too, is that games require players. They don't necessarily require multiple players, but games are inherently social creations. Um, we are either engaged with the object, we are either engaged with the creator through the object, or we, we are engaged with other players. So one thing that can happen with games is that you can consider things like MMORPGs, where people often can form uh, long-lasting friendships, but also that's with associated drama that can sometimes lead to negative behaviors like gaslighting and things like that. Um, so there's there's this risk-reward thing, I think, that happens with games, or at least games when you can, or, or use them as a sort of... Um, as a, as a sort of supplemental treatment to any so, uh, thing they have to deal with. Do, do you think we're kind of doing them a disservice in the sense that we're not 
Um, so I might be misunderstanding you, but you're, you you seem to be saying that um, you know, especially with 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 more social games like MMOs, um, you know, they can be productive in the sense that you can you know make meaningful friendships or or have meaningful social contact through them and do you think i mean we're doing them a disservice by sort of speaking only oh, not, not at all avoidance? not not at all um I, I just wanted to point out that games can have that social component to them because often when you're depressed mm. or you're having some sort of mood swings or a bipolar episode or, or things like that you you tend to retreat inwards but mm. game, games can also be something that allow you to um, express yourself outwardly as well. Uh, yeah. yeah, I want to touch on that point because um, I have a, like when I've been depressed, I've also been very isolated, and working through that has been difficult. So, like, yeah, I'll try to watch a film or something, but been pushed away by it because you feel it can sometimes feel like looking into the window of interesting people who have connections and you like just remind you of your own isolation but whereas games they like they engage you you are engaging with them you are doing a thing it doesn't matter what the thing is it can be talking to another person in an mmo or it can just be moving from one side of the screen to the other in assassin's creed but that engagement gives uh, me in this hypothetical past story I guess a sense of connection to the thing I am doing and that's a big thing I get out of games as an uh, avoidance strategy or a coping mechanism with um, depressed cycles because they can get me out of a spiral right that's a good point the other thing I would say is that is that we attribute we often attribute escapism and avoidance to video games in particular um, mm. excuse me and um, and I'd like to point out of course that that in um, I'd like to point out, of course, that you know we you know we can we can call an MMO a form of avoidism and or escapism because because it allows us to you know, engage with a, engage with a social structure and just kind of not really deal with the things that we actually need to deal with. But I mean that's exactly the same thing that other people who don't necessarily play video games also do when they, for example, go to a bar after work and just sit there and drink. You know, and I don't mean to demonize anyone by saying that. It's just it's just it's it's kind of a it's it's kind of a stigma that's particularly attached to video games, and it's also a stigma that's been attached to video games and 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 games in general for a long time. Uh, which is you know especially could you get back to like that weird Tom Hanks movie about Dungeons and Dragons? It's just you know it gets people depressed, it gets people to you know hurt themselves and, and things like that. And so and so the the nature of gaming and the misunderstanding of how of gaming both as a solitary and a social experience often leads to a misunderstanding of the, of their function in the life in the life of a of life of a person just in general um especially Absolutely. when it comes to mental illness stuff because it feels because people seem to think that when playing games exacerbates depression when it often when it often very strongly mediates it you know and i don't it, you know obviously i don't want to talk about it as being you know like the best form of treatment or anything either but you know that's yeah <laughs> i kind of wandered there on that point but I think that there's no such thing as like a game that is going to like be a, something that is escapist or avoidant. That is a very internal thing. Like whether you're choosing to like work on your internal problems or like if like you have when you're mentally ill, you have these things inside you that you can either acknowledge or run away from, and that is an internal process. And games are just an external way of like going through that. So I don't want to say that like this genre is bad for this or this genre is good for this because it um it like that comes to do with the way in which an individual engages with both the text and themselves. 
Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I feel like it's a much broader issue than. I mean, there are definitely games that are designed in a way that like exacerbates certain problems, like Skinner Box design, etc. There are definitely a lot of things that interact with mental illness in harmful ways. But f- for the most part, I think self awareness can allow you to engage almost any games without anyone like right. stigmatizing you or like if someone's being a dick to you, then they're being a dick. Yeah, you, you know what you're doing. You're just doing it. It's fine. I found that, yeah, especially when I started to become more self-conscious of, of how I used games in my life, that it became a much more healthy thing. And that's actually around the time I started to think about games critically as well, um, was, was you know, I mean, I was I was actually starting to get, like, real treatment for my depression and things like that. I was, you know, actually going to see a therapist and taking medication and things like that. And then that's also the same time when I realized that I was using games as a, not a, um, as a, as a coping mechanism. I think that's a much more generous term than, you know, escapism. Um, yes you know mm. I, was, I was using i was using games as a coping mechanism and when i realized that it, it gave me a much more healthier engagement with the game and then i realized as well that part of the reason i was using games as a coping mechanism is that the games i was playing in particular i felt engaged with certain things that i wanted to be engaged on you know i mean like a lot of my favorite a lot of my favorite games were like heavily narrative driven games and i often you know related to the characters inside of them and, and things like that and when i was able to read my personal experiences into them or, or read you know similar experiences into them that i was having so that was that's part of why i was interested in the topic as well um yeah <laughs> i could end up going on a tangent on any one of these on any one of these particular thoughts anyone have any I, go on that well i was wondering if if part of the thing that can make us strong is um the way that we find value in games via a, a form of projection, right? To the sense that that we want to necessarily um, embody another individual, but that we see something reflective in individual characters or in plots that somehow help us in, in one way or another, which is sort of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, somebody might find value in exploring, um, if they have something like PSD, they might consider games that sort of speak to them in that way uh, one example like we can think of two large critical examples uh, metal gear solid 2 does a lot to talk about ptsd through raiden and then another really big example of that is actually cloud from final fantasy 7 and i mean there are smaller games that do it too but when you see characters that i, I think the point i'm trying to make is that when you see characters that sort of have the same problems or have the same issues or, as you or 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 seem fallible i think that games become a lot more valuable because you're able to find a lot more value in sort of uh, interjecting yourself um, but not imposing yourself on the characters that you are encountering. Right. That was um, the thing that that caught me with a lot of those a lot of those games that I played as I realized that I was seeing the symptoms of these of these kinds of problems in in characters in fiction, especially in video games. And that was when I realized that there was like I, I part of part of the reason I latched onto a certain set of games in particular was feeling a, a lot of empathy from them. If you know, I mean, if if that makes sense to say, which I think it does. Um, you know, and and uh, you know, there were games. I mean, I played a lot of games, and 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 um, you know, there were games I played growing up, like like say like like Final Fantasy Nine is about a little kid. You know, I mean, not I mean, it's about a lot of different characters, but one of them in particular is like a is like a young child who is has to very suddenly and very quickly deal with their own mortality, um, which isn't necessarily in and of itself a mental illness, but a, a mental illness. But it was something that was very very triggering for me, and it was something that the game engaged with on a very on a very human level and in a very um, 
you know, in a, in a very respectful way. And then especially when I was a teenager and realizing seeing myself, seeing a lot of myself in Squall from Final Fantasy VIII, um, especially considering that in Final Fantasy VIII they, they don't exactly pull punches because it's like, it's a very empathetic game towards that character, but it also shows, you know, like why him refusing to like actually talk to people and help himself out makes him be terrible to other people. So I really, really related to that because I was kind of insufferable teenager. No. Um, I, I'll I'll interject again, and I, I apologize to the to the other panelists. Um, but somebody in the chat was asking about uh, there's a game called The Cat Lady, and it's sort of um it's sort of a horror game, and it, it's okay. So somebody was asking what my or everybody's general opinion on it was, and I think we can springboard that into a larger discussion. And I'll say that it's not as egregious as other games, but it does use um psychological issues in order to launch into matters of horror in hmm. in ways that we, we we see this a lot so even like take take a game like outlast right um it's very exciting you're sneaking around an insane asylum but also the depiction of everybody there is that they're crazy and they're coming after you and sort of things like that so when you use mental illness as this gateway into suspense or into excitement um even though the cat lady doesn't quite do that. Um, I think that's when we get to the point where mental illness as portrayed through game, games, excuse me, uh, starts to not work as well as the more positive examples that we're sort of talking about. Mm-hmm. And Zaya and Jackson, of course, we we're, we're, you know, we don't want to just trample all over you. So, you know, feel free to you know just talk about what we're uh, talking about. It's fine. I haven't played the cat lady because I don't, like I can't do horror games because I my anxiety flares up and I like seize up as a person. It's very difficult for me to engage with that stuff. I'm like trying to uh, push into it and get better, but that's a slow process for me. Hmm. So I mean, I'm 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 not actually um, familiar with the Cat Lady, um, but um, unless you have anything to say, Austin, I'm curious. Uh, I'm very sorry. To, I, I'm very sorry to the person who commented this, but I have I have never even heard of the cat lady, and that's and I, wish, <laughs> and I wish we could I wish we could provide more constructive opinions about it to to talk about it. But I mean, I can I'm, I, I mean I'm it's it's a game called the Cat Lady, and it's usually I mean in in particular that's an image that's usually kind of ableist by association in terms of like it usually implies a, a you know a, a particularly a woman. Um, who you know has has kind of like lost control of their mental faculties and just tries to get a lot of like you know and tries to get a lot of emotional affection out of pets instead of out of people, which also goes into weird things about animal and human relationships that are particularly bizarre. Uh, and and it, it, it that's a, the, the 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 old cat lady, the crazy cat lady, quote unquote, is is a is a really really weird trope to unpack. So I can already tell that I can I can I can imagine two ways of that going where the cat lady is either like a game that tries to engage that particular trope on an interesting level or it just tries to build cheap power cheap cheap horror out of out of that topic which is unfortunately something that a lot of video games very much do which is you know which is which is take like you know i mean um some people find it some people find it a little more acceptable than i do but i mean like we have gimmicks like the like the insan literally it's called the insanity meter in eternal darkness which is like you know, it doesn't actually work like that at all. I mean, granted, it doesn't work like that in particular because 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 mm-hmm. mental illness doesn't function in any single in any consistent way across a group of people. Um, aside from like a recurring symptoms, but I mean, like in terms of like having a psychological breakdown, you know, I mean, you know, the way Eternal Darkness portrays it is very far from the truth, and it and it's and it's meant to and it's meant to be sensational, and and, and I'm 
and uh, I don't know. I was a little I more generous. I was a little more generous to it a few years ago, but recently I've really soured on thinking about that game and how it's basically like the big example, you know, of, I think, of exactly what we're talking about. Sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. Um, well, I mean, I think that's 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 the difficulty with sort of um, systematizing mental illness. I think you know, common to, to the experience of all illness, as in you know, the subjective component of disease is that you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. It's it's very. You know how 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 do you how do you quantify it? I mean, why 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 do you even try to quantify it? Um, and I think that's a thing that a lot of games struggle with. But I mean, going back to what you were saying, Heather, um, I think one way that games try to deal with, and I'm not sure if the Cat Lady does this, is through um, horror themes. And I'm thinking specifically of, of, of um, Never Ending Nightmares, mm-hmm. which I haven't played. But it's uh, an indie. I think it's like a puzzle platformer sort of thing about um, the it's creators' a, experiences with with with, mm. with um, like depression and specifically intrusive thoughts of, of self harm and whatnot. Yeah, Never Ending Nightmares is Matt Gilgenbach's game. It's just a horror puzzle game about specifically OCD and the intrusive thoughts that that comes with. And I, I have that and it's not fun. It's not fun at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't played, I haven't played it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. No, no, I mean, OCD, I haven't played the game itself. I meant the, um, <laughs> the intrusive thoughts as a concept, not fun. Uh, but I haven't played the game myself, but I have heard varying things about its effectiveness. But I do think like openly stating that like you are using genre as a way to communicate mental illness, uh, like, and as to the effectiveness of that, because there was that game that, um, what is the studio that did Enslaved? Ninja uh, Theory. Look that up. Ninja Theory. Ninja Theory, wow, yes. Good job. They announced Hellblade the other month or whatever it was, yes. which is a ridiculous thing because it's called Hellblade, but also prepares to be a serious game uh, analysis, uh, analyzing mental illness. And I think that's worth considering as like a tactic because i think it's totally legitimate to say uh here is a ridiculous genre thing that you can appreciate as that but it also has a uh serious uh like mental health angle and that's totally respectable like i know lots of people were anti-hellblade from the start because of the dissonance between uh its nonsense genre trappings and it's like lofty mental health ambitions but i think those two exist alongside each other and actually genre is a powerful tool for communicating that to an audience that isn't already in it yeah sorry most of the most of the good most honestly most of the depictions of, of of mental health that i relate to across all media are in things that are usually considered pulp i mean the classic examples would the classic example for me outside of video games would obviously be neon genesis evangelion which is like everyone in that show's got tons of problems and you could probably like sit and do psychological analysis i mean like psychological symptoms analysis on all of those characters for hours and hours but that's the thing is like i mean it's a it's a mecha anime show so i've, I've absolutely like 100 percent never been down with the idea that like this thing can't be serious because it's also like you know cartoony like yeah especially considering that like especially considering like i get more out of final fantasy 8 than i've ever gotten out of like out of out of out of so much of like the classical literature about about mental illness and things like that it's just yeah yeah that's i mean that's that that that's that's a that's that could be a whole panel on its own is is like is like tonal dissonant of video games and actually i have wrote a new critical switch episode about it that's <laughs> that's going to be that's going to be coming down the pipeline in you know probably in around august you know um so 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 yeah that'll that'll be a thing um 
Yeah, I for can oh, I go ahead. Sorry, Tyler. yeah. I can I up... can I jump back um, to Eternal Darkness for a second because the chat keeps on talking about um, yeah, the mechanics well. for a minute. So I want to say this, and this will sound really um, pedantic, but it, it matters, right? Because games are symbols, and understanding sort of semiotics and language helps us understand why certain things work while other things fail. And one of the problems with Eternal Darkness is the fact that they call it the sanity meter. Whereas a game like Darkest Dungeon calls it a stress meter. And they're both aping on Lovecraftian tropes, but the difference is that stress is a generalized idea. We've all encountered stress in our lives, whether or not we've struggled with mental illness, right? So if you call something a stress meter, it takes on a different connotation than calling something a sanity meter because the meter represents something different. Um, meters in these games or even the way that something like depression quest sort of tells you what your mood is is just stating something about the character's mental state um sort of via mathematics right everything in games is, uh. is, is abstractions so mm-hmm. the difference between a stealth uh, not a stealth meter <laughs> wrong genre um a, a stress meter and an insanity meter might seem like really really small but it works in games indigo prophecy does this as well um where you can see how stressed your character is. And it's and it's nothing about a character's like mental faculties. It's not a comment on the character's mental faculties, whereas uh, Eternal Darkness sort of gets into that a little bit more. And the only other thing I want to say is that one way that games tend to also um, reflect mental illness as their structures is by removing choice uh, from the player. So like yeah. actual, actual sunlight, that's almost completely narrative, and you have no way to change the outcome of that game. Mm-hmm. The other thing it's worth mentioning, uh, which is which is uh, something that Peak Shoujo said in the chat, which is that um, the the sanity meter is is literally taken from uh, if we're if we're going to mention Lovecraft in passing, it's literally taken from the Call of Cthulhu tabletop game. Um, okay. it, it's yeah, there was a, there was a Call of Cthulhu tabletop game that debuted I think in the eighties or something like that, and it was absolutely like a um, um, like almost all of the sanity meter mechanics are are taken directly from the game. So just historically, yeah. You know, Jackson, yeah. you had something to add. I wanted to talk about uh, Metal Gear Solid 4's psych meter because I just played that game and I thought that was a really effective way of communicating this because it's a ridiculous abstraction. Uh, it's like a ludicrous thing on the face of it, just one meter to illustrate the like mental state of this person. But by placing this meter in like cutscenes and bringing it up when like certain information is revealed, or something as simple as like Snake's cigarettes being taken from him, mm-hmm. it draws this line of context between actions of gameplay and like staying out in the sun too long and enemies being around. That could have the same effect as like this small thing that you care about in your life. So even though it was a, a joke through its mechanics it communicated to me uh this way of saying that uh this soldier is just as affected by the fact that this girl took his cigarettes from him and won't let him smoke because he needs to do that uh as it is as he is by being out in the sun surrounded by guards everywhere and i thought that was this really effective bit of humanization through what is often an abstracted system of like sanity meters that is often harmful as a way of representation Uh, representation i'm gonna talk (laughs) What I'm curious with about that and, and, and about sort of, you know, uh, uh, quantifications of, of mental health more generally is um, not played me- uh, Metal Gear Solid. Is, it, is, it, is the system sort of easy to understand or is it more kind of inscrutable? It's a single meter that as it goes down, its effect is just you, like your guns will shake. Yeah, you won't yeah move but as like, fast can, can, you, can you sort of, Don't know you know, predict was, when it will go down or is it sort of like... Um, 
you know, you're just sort of standing around and it starts going down and you're like, oh my God, what's happening? You you understand why it goes down. There's a stress meter, which then affects the psych meter. Uh, and you can see exactly okay. what's causing it. Because uh, one thing I'm interested in, with 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 regarding with regards to sort of systematizing this, is is, I mean, what if you had just sort of a, a very inscrutable system, a very sort of complicated system uh, of mental health? Because I mean, the fun well, one of the fundamental problems, obviously, is you know this ridiculous idea of of of, of boiling, you know, a mental state down to to a number, mm-hmm. to a bar. I mean, do you? Th- do you do you think that's perhaps not necessarily an antidote, but sort of something that can kind of um, I th- um, I think kind it's difficult. I think it's difficult to achieve, and this will sound like a really strange reason why it's difficult to achieve. But games are primarily spatial, right? So mm-hmm. we understand our engagement with um, games through space and a way for us to understand how we are. Um, our sort of status quo or our state of affairs in that space, um, mm. as I said before, tends to be numbers or, or quantities, just because that also ties back into the mathematics that sort of um, program these games to begin with. If you have a system that has a certain degree of obfuscation or inscrutability where certain actions, um, you know, there's not as much more rhyme or reason to, to what's mm. going on, mm. I think it might represent um, certain mental issues probably more realistically but i don't know how many game developers will go through that because um games like to be gamey mm-hmm. yeah well i mean uh, my follow-up was to ask if, if you guys knew any uh were familiar with any games like that but the one that comes to mind for me is um there's a, a jrpg designer who's done a lot of work for square enix named uh akatoshi kawazu hmm. um and from what i know of his games he's He's never broached the topic of, of, of mental health or mental illness. He's so he's done a lot of the Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles games, sort of saga games, and they've got this really weird design because they are inscrutable in this way. Sort of um, the worlds are very sort of naturalistic, and stuff just happens. Um, you know, you'll just randomly get. So I, actually, no, I think most famously he did. He he directed Final Fantasy two, which had uh, this weird level up system where. You know your your skills went up the more you used them. Yeah, which, like you, you used axes to get better at axes, and like you got hurt. To yeah, get yeah, more yeah. And, so yeah. I think the big the big exploit was like you you just like you know uh, 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 fight yourself. You just punch yourself, and then your your characters would get more health because they're just weathering attacks. It's hard to comment on things like that because. Um, those tend to be structures that aren't built with like like I'm not one who calls for um, intentionality when we're reading into games. Uh, Games speak and communicate things intentionally or not. Um, But the idea, like, so let's let's go with that example. Let's say, okay, I want to gain more health in a game, um, but in order for me to do that, I have to ludically inflict some form of Mm -hmm. self-harm. Obviously, Mm -hmm. the game's not commenting on that, specifically also because Mm -hmm. I'm gaining gaining more health, um, which I suppose we could twist about and make it into something about fortitude or strength um but but i think with systems like that um and oh i hate that word i hate the word systems terribly um um, i think with systems like that i mean i i think it's okay to try and think about 
intentionality in those cases, um, because especially with RPGs, because those tend to be primary, primarily narratively focused. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing for me is that is that it, uh, kind of like non-linear. I'm going to say non-linear. I think that's actually a pretty good term because usually, like, we have like the stress bar, the sanity meter, and the stamina. They're literally bars. They go left to right. Yeah. They have a zero yeah. and a one hundred. Um, I think a good like non-linear representation of mental health, of course, is, is is of course probably in Depression Quest, where it just kind of like you know it just it just you know um, where depression is kind of a constant state of where untreated depression is kind of a constant state of being that just kind of forbids you from doing certain things, and and, and it kind of creates a sort of hard binarism between what a depressed person can and can't do in a way that might be a little simplistic, but it, it does kind of demonstrate. It does kind of demonstrate as a thought experiment. It's just like you know, it's just like you know, like like one of the first things that can happen in the game is like you can go to the party and have a good time, but you're not gonna if you go to the party, you're not gonna have a good time because you're just not gonna be able to let yourself let go of your problems and 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 dance, and that sort of thing. Like that's that's the primary takeaway I had from Depression Quest was just kind of like you know, if I had to explain to someone like how my brain kind of works, that would be that would be one of the things I would show them. Uh, the other thing I wanted to, if anybody wanted to hit Depression Quest really quick, we could talk about that. But I also wanted to move on to the works of Yoko Taro um, before, um, uh, just after mm-hmm. that. We got plenty of time, actually. We can keep talking. I more specifically wanted to talk about like the idea of who uh, like these systems are for, because I feel like something like the Depression Quest or any attempt to systematically uh, st- another terrible word I know, uh, but <laughs> to like represent. Um, mental illness through these interacting elements of uh, like design mm-hmm. I feel like that is a way of communicating the idea of mental illness to someone who doesn't have it most people who I know who like right. find representations of mental illness in games that they resonate with who like personally experience mental illness those are all very narrative uh, ones mm-hmm. that they latch on to mm-hmm. I've never played like a systemic representation of mental illness and thought this speaks to me whereas uh, I played actual sunlight and it like I don't know. I had a, I don't know if my reaction to that game was positive, but it, it, I had a reaction to that in a big way that like a purely systemic thing could never have achieved. The only and... thing I'll say to that is that sometimes, um, I mean, we're talking about the issues of whether or not these things are reductive or not. Sometimes painting broadly or giving people signs that point to generalized ideas mm-hmm. make it easier for people to. Um, sort of empathize with them right yeah. so yeah, so absolutely. so that's the whole matter of um you know i always quote to de tocqueville on this um general ideas are no proof of the uh, what is it the intellect but of the insufficiency of the human intellect we need general hmm. ideas in order to relate to each other um and good. so in games they are I, I butchered the quote but in games um even though we as people who might you know are experiencing these issues might find them reductive um they might be able to speak broadly to other people because yeah. they are uh, generalities by necessity right absolutely i mean uh, before we move on i just want to say quickly that um yeah i mean these 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 sort of systemic uh representations of mental illness do have an audience and often it is good at, at getting along a general generalized thing i mean what comes mm-hmm. to mind for me um, is I don't know if any of you guys have ever encountered the the, the spoons metaphor for um, living yes. with chronic illness. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is you have a set amount of spoons per day, and doing anything takes some spoons, and you you've just got to you've got to manage your spoons to get through your day without running out. So I guess I wanted I, I want to say that you know the, these things 
you know, systemic systemic portrayals of mental illness don't just exist in games. Right. Right. Um, the other thing oh, that's yeah. weird about I... it is that we see, like, I mean, the funny thing about it is that, like, I mean, the sanity meter is, like, when you call it the sanity meter, it gets, like, weird. But the thing about it is that, like, if you really think about it, like, the health meter in a JRPG is almost exactly the same thing anyway. It's literally, yes. like, the amount of abuse and the amount of self-abuse that a person can deal with before they need to rest. You know, like, mm-hmm. that's, that, that's mm-hmm. all the health meter is in any video game. But especially in JRPGs, which, which like, narratively contextualize it as, like, you do a lot of this stuff and you either need to take medicine or sleep to get back up into shape. And, of course, that's a, you know, it, that, that you know, it, it gets kind of funky because it's just like, well, you're not going to drink eight potions in a row to feel not depressed anymore. As a matter of fact, if you're, if you're drinking eight potions in a row, you might want to, you know, talk to other people about that. But, uh, uh, you know... <laughs> But you know that 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 but that's the thing is that it's 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 kind of weird how it it, it 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 kind of demonstrates both the power and the insufficiency of the idea by relating you know to to think of to think of them all in kind of the same way. Um, yeah. You know, it's just it's just the relationship between it's just this relationship between labor and rest, and we could talk about like you know depression and labor in games as its own particular topic for at least an hour probably. Um, well, I th- I think uh, systemic representations of depression like work as a form of advocacy yeah like uh what's it called cart life it's not explicitly about mental illness per se but it does work as portraying the system that causes these harmful effects on its participants uh Mm. and communicates that perfectly to uh like Mm. anyone playing uh Mm. but a, a narrative that showed the same experience people would be far like easier to like put their biases onto this person or pull a bootstraps analogy onto this person who can't like pull themselves out of this harmful system uh mm-hmm. i think that's the role of systemic representations of mental illness is to communicate to people who don't understand how it works to like through abstraction and simplification uh communicate the effects in a way like to have a said and get gender empathy and understanding from a greater amount of people mm-hmm. I think uh, the other thing I wanted to hit up as well is that is that when we think of like systemic representations of any kind of idea, like systemic representations of economic systems or political systems or prejudice or, or, or mental illness, that we tend to think of them as being kind of related to the binary win and fail states of a game. Like, you know, it's just like, well, if you, if you, if you maintain your sanity meter, then you can get to the end state of the game and hit the credits and you've won. Um, um, had a um you know i think there are ways to kind of quote unquote systemically through the interactions of a game represent kind of kind of the mindset that i ex- at least i don't want to say the mindset of mental illness but at least the mind state of the mind state that i exist in um i think there are ways to systemically do that that i think have been done that are that are like they're mechanical but they can be a little more abstract the example that always comes to mind for, for me when i talk about this is 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 near um because the thing about that is that like in near you have all of the typical rpg number type stuff like you kill stuff and numbers go up and you gain levels and and that sort of thing and you get new spells and you beat you beat dungeons and things like that except the thing about that is that like everything else on every other level of the game that isn't the numbers is like you do these things and it's designed to make you feel either like unaccomplished or defeated and the thing about that is that I really empathize with like the act of playing near because it feels like I'm doing things that should have impact, but it, but they're not doing anything at all. 
you know, I mean, like just this past week when I was moving into this place, it's like I'm, 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 wor- I'm working to death. You know, I'm working myself to death here trying to get in and installed and trying to get a job and trying to get, you know, all my stuff moved from one city to the other. And I'm like, I'm accomplishing a lot, but I, but I feel horrendous about it, you know, or I feel like I'm, I feel like I've not actually made any personal progress when in fact I've made an immense amount of personal progress. Now, the point in near is that like you don't actually make any progress at all and what you're doing is incredibly unhealthy. Um, so it's, it's, it's a slightly different kind of situation, but it's, it's sort of, I guess that, I guess that's basically sort of a narrative context uh but even just even not even necessarily like a narrative context but just a tonal context for those kinds of interactions is like you do a thing and the game is designed in such a way that it drains out all of the pleasure that would usually be associated with it in other games um i was talking about that with solon with solon scott last year while we while myself and tj thomas and a few other people were streaming were streaming i think it was vanquish of all games and and solon jokingly called it sad play and we ran with that for like a few months i'm still working on writing like kind of a definitive thing about that about like what that means to me and, and that sort of thing but i think that's i think that's an interesting direction that 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 um um uh, I think that's an interesting direction that designers can consider, and I think it's a great example of, of the idea of games that make you feel uncomfortable, which is something that AV talked about on the trailer showcase uh, an hour or two ago, and something and which which Kermix brought up in the chat. Um, so yeah, that's that's particularly why I wanted to get back to that. Um, on the top on, on on the topic of Yoko Taro, I mean, I have, um, I've always found Drakengard a very kind of evocative game. Um, are any of you familiar with that? I, yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, I feel like the deal with Dragon the, 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 the deal with Dragon Guard for me is that it kind of does. It, honestly, it does it does a lot of what Near does, but it's even more harsh about it. Like you know, like Near Near has a little is a little softer. Like there's more opportunities mm. to do stuff like deliver items to people or like go fishing or or just walk around mm. beautiful maps mm. or whatever. But literally in Dragon Guard, it's like. Um, and literally in Drakengard, it's just it's just constant it's just constant beating. It's literally just it's just, mm. it's just constant combat over and over again, and the combat never constant changes. combat. You've got this sort of cacophonous cacophonous music, and yeah, and it's and it's just this repetitive structure, and it's it's really really oppressive to actually play that game, which is why and 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 the funny thing about it is that like most games that are like oppressive like tend to have the courtesy of making themselves relatively short. And Drakengard, if you actually want to see like the quote unquote true ending of the game, is not a short game at all. So like if you really want to play Dragon Guard, you need to sign up, you know, like and you need to like, you know, you know, mm. build up some muscle strength beforehand, you know, to actually be ready. You know? Part of the thing that can also affect how you look at um games is when you and this is when I'm sort of aping terms from from James Howell is when you consider the notion of actor objective versus player objective right so actors that you control they're just characters that you control during the game they all want something right um everybody in a game wants something you and then the player wants something right the player generally and this is sort of like what Austin was saying wants to win one way that you can make players reconsider um power fantasies or um, coping mechanisms in a way that can seem brutal but can be generally beneficial is to deny the player from actually achieving their player objective. So, for example, there is a fight where Raiden fights Vamp. Um, And I'm going to probably use Metal Gear Solid 2 more often than not because it's a good example of this. Um, He shoots Vamp in the head and Vamp comes back. And so... Congratulations! You just beat a boss, but also your player objective of like 
I'm going to win. I'm going to succeed. I'm over. I'm going to overcome obstacles is explicitly denied. And it's not something that necessarily is meant to force the player to feel um, depressed, but it, but it certainly can be an oppressive um, mechanism that has them recontextualize their notion of like where they belong within the game space. Because we always have to remember that we're, we're talking about digital game spaces just as much as we're talking about, um, you know, our feelings and how it affects us in the real life. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is I think that there's a possibility that I haven't seen in too many games, but I know at least one distinct example of that'll make Heather very happy. Um, we could see uh, another possibility for there to exist would be games that create interactions that where the player is rewarded for actively engaging painful subject matter or for actively engaging difficult topics. Um, the primary example that, that made that pop into my mind was when Heather, uh, and, I, and, I, and I, I haven't gotten the chance to actually sit down and play it yet, but I bought uh, Planescape Torment because Heather told me about a particular scene in this game where, spoilers for a 20-year-old game, um, you, um, uh, you know, 15-year-old game. Uh, I you, mean, <laughs> I was just going to say that if yeah, people Jackson, haven't actually played it, you should yeah. definitely play it's that. The, it's, it's the Dianara Sphere scene. Yeah. It's the best scene in that entire game. Man. It's really affecting. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's the scene. Well, I, I'm, I'm not. Sh- uh, I'm, I, I hope. I, I hope. Uh, I'll just go with it. Um, yep. So you go. So you go. And you do Planescape, and the thing is, is that a lot of a lot of what you do in Planescape, like you can get a lot of experience in that game just from talking to people, and like disproportionately so against combat. Like you know, you can do combat, and combat will work for you. But one combat is kind of toilsome and boring in Planescape Torment. Um, and uh, the other thing is that is that like I mean there are lots of times where you just like you talk to people and you hear people's problems and you like you engage and you engage empathy um, and you just you engage difficult subject matter and 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 the game rewards you for it by by making you better you know by just they give you a, they give you experience points and you and you, you know you hear the sound and you be like I have gotten stronger and and that's a I guess it's a little cheesy and you know like an up and an update on that concept would 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 hopefully iterate on the idea to where there's less kind of you know a feeling of artificial gaminess about it but we're talking about a game where you like you're a reincarnation of a person who existed in the past and you hear about something that you did in a past life that was so horrendously awful that the game refuses to actually write it down other than to say that someone told you what it was and that you burst into tears you know and then like and then after that you get like plus 10 billion experience points and I think that's I think that's a really weird way that you could that you could like at least coax people into 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 thinking about these kinds of topics empathetically. Jackson, you've had experience with Planescape. Uh, do yeah. You have anything to add? I think that game's uh, like fantastic in the way it deals with that stuff. I actually think it's very similar to Metal Gear Solid Two. Uh, to link both of those together in this thing, in the they're both games that present characters dealing with these things. And through their narratives and also uh, their systems and the way they relate to the story they're telling, uh, present the value of self-knowledge and the value of, like, understanding. Uh, But in both games, progress... Each character makes progress and grows by understanding themselves and their illnesses and their problems and their lives. And FF7 Uh, is the same way and as is FF8. Yeah, Yeah. FF7 is the same way. Yeah, and all these games uh, that deal with these topics present the value of like engaging with this part of you rather than ignoring it like they it may lead to harmful things but the constant among all of these is that they promote uh engagement like honest engagement with yourself as the ultimate like goal and reward and i think that's this really effective way of communicating to 
people like how to engage with their own mental illnesses or their own just anyone's problems and internal lives uh that is and like putting that content in there directly flies in the face of like trying to have a power fantasy like the new batman game or something right. i'm just trying to yeah I think, uh, um, well, we're getting, actually, it's getting close to, like, 7 o'clock here, and granted, we have an empty panel schedule after this, so we can keep going if there's any huge topics that anybody wanted to bring up. Um, so, were there any anything that we think we missed, or, or, or anything like that, that anybody wanted to hit up before we, before we started wrapping this thing up? There are definitely a few topics I want to hit up, um, assuming you guys are happy to stick around. Yeah, we got, we got, um, I'm not sure we got some time. Yeah. You'll be able to speak to them because they're, they're, they're definitely topics that I, I can't really speak to either. Um, they're just sort of open questions, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Am I cool to go? Cool, um, yeah, go ahead. So, yeah, someone in, someone in the chat is saying, uh, what about the other end of mental illness? Um, and that's basically my question. I've been, I've been very curious recently about portrayals of, of, of trauma in games, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, have you encountered any games that you would say are about trauma or about, you know, psychosis or uh, sort of thing? I mean, Final Fantasy VII is literally about post-traumatic stress in a way that is, like, all-consuming. Mm. I mean, like, that's that's the entire story of the game is that this person has this hugely traumatic event and then for the next five years doesn't engage with it, and then we catch up with them, you know, in terms of, like, we catch up with them, you know, right as they're about to, like, realize the problem you know in that sort of thing like right as they're about mm. to start engaging with the issue you know following kurt vonnegut's advice that you should always start a story as close to the end as possible <laughs> um but yeah we have this we have this huge traumatic event we have a character who's unwilling to engage with it and we dole out little bits and bits of it you know piece by piece to see what actually happened and and we understand and through observing the character and observing their history and observing the history of the world around them that that affects their place within society uh, we're able to come to an understanding about we're co- able to come to an understanding about 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 why this game buried why this why this character um you know buried this event and it and it became and it became emblematic of post traumatic stress. I mean, he literally like just buries the event so far that he can no longer coherently remember it. And he often like when the topic is brought up is 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 likely to have a, a minor breakdown. It's very mm. very it's 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 very post traumatic and. Um, um. And, and and Metal Gear Solid is built on the trope of, of the idea that post of people with post traumatic stress disorder constantly return to the source of the post traumatic stress to try and correct it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I mean, one one game that um, I want to bring up, somewhat controversial, um, in talking about trauma games, is is actually Metroid Other M. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a lot of ways, is about trauma. I think there's the there's the uh, the infamous scene where where Samus confronts Ridley and has. Um, a very poorly literalized flashback to her childhood, but more broadly, I think you can say the the whole game is about trauma. You're sort of exploring this very, mm-hmm. this very flat landscape in a very unengaged way. Um, you know, well, all the narrative content is about you know the events of, of, of ten years ago or however long ago it is. Um, but someone in the chat has brought up her story. Um, have any of you played that? Uh, uh, Jack, I think Jack yeah. has. I've played that game. Uh, the talk around her story specifically is a lot about um, uh, whether that game even is about mental illness, uh, and if it is, does it like uh, trivialize it and use it as a trope? And I think it definitely does. But that game definitely ties into what I was uh, like my opinions on genre. I think that's like it's basically a horror game, 
uh, so and it engages in a bunch of horror tropes. And it, co- like, co- oh, Zago? Um, no, just correct me if I'm wrong, but it's sort of a, it's it, it's a split personality thing, isn't it? No. Uh, dissociative yeah, disorder? Yeah. Like, it never says. It could be, it could not be. The way I'm reading uh, it is that people are arguing about whether it does or it doesn't. And, and yeah. actually, can I, can, oh, I say okay. something, can I say something to clarify here? Of course. Here? Yep. I, think, I think the... I mean, uh, I've been talking about games that don't necessarily come out and say that, you know, well, we're talking about depression. But, like, I think, I think the kind of... An unwillingness to commit to these kinds of characters and say, like, you know, well, what if they're lying? You know, is, 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 is plainly representative of the ableism itself. Is, is plainly representative of the distrust of mentally ill mm. people. Mm. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's never, you know, the difference between her story and, and like, say, MGS2 or Final Fantasy VIII for me would be, like, there's no question about those characters. Like, they've got problems. And the idea, I think, behind what I've seen of her story is you're trying to identify whether this character actually has multiple personalities and, you know, and, and you know, and whether, and whether that's the actual problem and, therefore, whether they are, whether they are mentally ill or not mentally ill. And I think any game that tries to get you to engage with a mentally ill character on a level of questioning, on a, on a, on a level of questioning the uh, something about something fairly fundamental about their existence is 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 ableist in a way that is kind of analogous to to questioning the gender of a transgender person you know and it's it's it's, it's very it's very very harmful um i have very I, little I, sympathy for that <laughs> i agree but i also think her story uh because it presents this uh like very dispassioned very like disconnected like view into this these interviews like it is about the way we do that uh like i think the game has a bunch of ableist problems and um like it isn't respectful of mental illness until one uses it as a genre tool mm-hmm. uh but i think it is definitely more critical of that like action it's about how we can't know a person and that we jump to conclusions because we need to it like contextualizes at least to me it contextualizes the urge to like define this person as mm-hmm. a flaw within ourselves uh and to like mm-hmm. like need a concrete identity uh rather than presenting like it doesn't say that's her identity. It says that is like it is a, a projection on our behalf. And I, I don't want to defend the game that much because I think it has a lot of problems in terms of mental illness. But I would definitely say that it's a slightly more nuanced than. So uh, I'm 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 that. I'm really proud that we've 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 gone through this hour without um without saying the yeah. p word. But I'm, I'm going to bridge it now. Um, yes. I think problematic portrayals of mental illness are often. <laughs> Nice. Uh, Problematic portrayals of mental illness are often the richest. Yep. Um, I, I completely so, agree. I completely because agree. I think I think I think we'd all agree that mental mental illness uh, discourse is a horribly complex thing. Yes. Um, and it doesn't take a particularly studied look at the history of psychology and the history of psychiatry to realize that it has long been an apparatus of sexist, racist violence. Right. So I think. I, I part of me wants to say that if you're engaging with mental illness discourses in any meaningful way, mm-hmm. it's going to be fucked up. Yeah, um, I, yeah. and I, and other M is my is my sort of a champion example here. My because champion. obviously I I think it's about trauma. Obviously, it's also very horrendously misogynistic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Can I butt in just for two seconds? Mm-hmm. Yes. So the only thing I'm going to say that sort of connects to that is that um, we shouldn't be afraid to look for portrayals of mental illness or issues that are relevant to our own 
uh, mental troubles in um, and I'm not saying that we have been, for example, vilifying AAA titles, but we, I think you'd be surprised what you can find in that area. So if people are Absolutely. interested in this, they, they should look around. So um, examples off the top of my head, uh, Beyond Two Souls a game I absolutely hate. Um, I do. I, I hate it so much. Um, actually deals with the um, the trauma that surrounds sexual assault. And then um, for me, the game that recently I wrote about this, the game that helped me engage with... Um, I suffer from extreme death anxiety i have trouble dealing with the fact that one day i'm going to die um and i and i don't have i don't have faith to sort of uh burgeon me on that and i'll say about faith um is that faith regardless of what people think about it is a type of bravery that other people possess that i wish i had Mm -hmm. but there is a character in that game which i'm not going to talk about because it's spoilery who is coming to grips with their own obsolescence and while you can look at Batman um, Arkham Knight and see all of these weird politics about surveillance states and torture and like just a vigilante with a lot of money going around and punching people and blatantly breaking their spines. If you look in the right places in games, um, like you're saying with Other M, um, you can find things that speak to you. So so if this is something that you're really interested in... Um, for people who are in the chat, I mean, engage with smaller games, engage everywhere, but don't be afraid to look for these things in the in the places where you don't think that you would find them. Yeah, don't write off the things that often like come from harmful structures because like I I like Beyond Two Souls more than most. Not uh, my podcast partner Matt loves it; like he actually loves it. But I like parts of that game quite a bit. Uh, I think that game specifically has this really good single scene that is this fantastic. Uh, way of portraying like our connection to spaces and the like pain of isolation uh which is this scene where um ellen page was jody jody that's her name <laughs> um, uh, she is forcefully taken from her like home in wherever cia place she is to be transferred to another place and all you do is walk around the space and you rip up the items or you choose to take them with you and that's all you can do and i think the fact that it's printed in a chronological order like completely messes up the like impact of this scene but just as the scene it's a really powerful way of the things we latch onto when we are broken people when we need a sense of permanence mm-hmm. and it was this heartbreaking and really affecting scene that like as an example of something that can be found in a game that has a lot of problems and isn't alternate like completely good at portraying this all this stuff it has moments and mm. we should look for the i agree with you i agree going back to I, the I, uh, I, Zaya, you can go uh just brief i just want to give a quick shout out to uh kane and lynch to dog days for having a surprisingly nuanced um portrayal of schizophrenia uh, in particular, it doesn't have visual hallucinations. I don't know if you remember the the, the, the first Ken and Lynch game, but its big selling point was that um, it was co-op and, and Lynch, the, the, the player controlling Lynch, the character with schizophrenia, mm-hmm. would sort of uh, experience these complex visual hallucinations through the game. Uh, complex visual hallucinations are actually really, really rare among people with schizophrenia mm-hmm. um, for a start. Um, but also because there's this incredibly touching scene in the kind of trailer that plays if you sit at the title screen um where sort of lynch is is sitting in his home and kane's coming in and sort of set up for the you know like one last job sort of thing and lynch goes to his medicine cabinet and he opens it and he just pulls out you know this little bottle of pills and you just see him stare at it for like 10 seconds and then it cuts away 
Um, and that's the only time I have ever seen sort of a game broach the idea of, of, of you know, what it means to kind of be on medication or, or, or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so shout out that everyone should play it. Um, nice. Yeah, the I wanted to hop back to the to the problematic portrayals thing, the and the why they're most compelling. Um, I think Evangelion is a great example of this. In video games, I, I, going back again, um, I would say that that Final Fantasy VIII is, is probably like my my the, the Final Fantasy VIII is the hill that I die on. You know, it's it's the trophy that I raise, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, mm. Um, but, but that's 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 part of the thing is is what makes it interesting to me is that is is that it just um, it doesn't screw around with that with that kind of thing because the thing about it is I think there's when we have kind of internet discourses internet uh, you know and discourses in general tend to try and simplify the topic and so our our idea of a of a of a complex and nuanced portrayal of a character with mental illness can be boiled down to a portrayal of a, a character with mental illness that is sympathetic in a way that is often itself kind of a problem. You know, it's you know, whereas where mentally ill people are, are you know these these perfect little little butterflies who are people to feel sorry for because everyone keeps being mean to them, um, and I mean you know it, there's 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 lots of, of, of victimization and 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 uh, and and, uh, and ostracization and and, uh, and and all that sort of thing that comes in with being a mentally ill person, but at the same time, um, you know, mentally ill people like myself have just as much of a capability of being toxic as anyone else. Um, you know, especially mm. especially when especially when you don't actually when you especially when you refuse to actually engage the problem because you end up foisting that problem onto other people. They, you know, people inevitably end up having to deal with that um, and that sort of thing. And and you know, especially if you don't try to deal with it yourself, which is not to say that you know it's it's your responsibility. And if you don't get help, then fuck you. But like it's it's like you've you've got to. Um, you know there is there there is there there is a degree to which you have to you do have to take responsibility for for your own self care and that sort of thing. Going back to portrayals of that in video games, this is particularly why I find Squall to be an interesting character because Squall is like fairly reliable as a person who gets things done. Like you know from a, from like a labor standpoint, like he's actually like you know they assigned him to be like a leader of a military squad and a paramilitary squad, and he's like actually really good at it. But people hate being around him because he are just because because he's mean because he's he's really cold and distant to people and and he's often he's often rude to people and that sort of thing and a lot of that has to do with the fact that he refuses to engage his own emotional issues that game and the whole game is other people just trying to break him up the other people is just people trying to crack into his head and trying to and you know and eventually somebody you know people you know they you know they get to him well enough that he's actually willing to start talking about his issues and things like that and, and start and start getting some help I didn't mean to interject. The only thing that I was going to say is that game has a wonderful scene where after everybody thinks that uh, Cypher has died, they start Mm -hmm. talking about him in the past tense. This is me uh, grasping onto my death anxiety. And Squall freaks the fuck out. It's so perfect. It's so wonderful. He's like, oh my gosh, people are going to talk about me in the past tense. They're going to do all these things. They're going to, you know, overly personify me as this person who I'm not. They're not going to remember who I really am. And that's really fucking real. And I, like, you like Final Fantasy far more than I do, um, but God dang, that's a great scene. It's yeah. uh, that's the scene in that game where I like started to not hate school uh, <laughs> <laughs> because um, so I have a really weird relationship to school, and I do see a lot of myself in him, and I um, his character like, but I'm like alternatively like pushed away by him and uh, brought in by him because his vulnerability is very similar to mine but his external reactions to his vulnerabilities are very different uh 
which brings me to the translation of that game in that i read the translation and he is a completely different like if i in the japanese translation that i've in the version i've seen like interpreting alternate version of that lines i would have like he is a character that i would have identified with hung on to and loved but in the american game he is someone that i like pushes me away at least in the early half of the games uh and i think that that point is important to say that like the amount of nuance you need to correctly or not even correctly just to effectively portray someone with uh a mental illness but really any kind of complex uh just way of being and interacting with others is astounding that just little bits of mistranslation can completely change a person's context to its audience Mm. yeah well um we've had a very good discussion here and we actually have managed to run um we've managed to run a little over an hour um i need to go ahead and, and get prepared for for a for the last trailer showcase of the day and uh, and and some other stuff oh wait actually the last trailer showcase of the day is finishing up i need to get i need to get prepared for the young critics panel later which shout outs to which, the young critics panel young, it's gonna be fun it's gonna be so great hashtag crew hashtag squad um and <laughs> and, and, and i think oh, cru as a, as a, a cru absolutely absolutely cru um and i mean heather uh, heather and jackson are going to be on that i still need to write up some nope. of the questions i was going to ask people Wait, aren't Heather? You're not on that. <laughs> I'm not. No, on that it. wasn't me. That was Jackson. I, I'm not on it. Oh, I thought you were on. Sh- I, I keep getting these two panels confused. No, it's Dylan, Omar. I've already got like Heather, seven people there. Yeah, and other uh, people. Claris. Claris. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So I'm excited oh, for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's Funny. gonna be it's gonna be some heat, but I need to go ahead and get going and uh, and get prepared for that. And I'm also very this room is very hot without a fan running in it to keep things quiet. So this uh, was this was awesome. Like this is a good I just, panel. I, it was a very good discussion. I'm, I'm very humbled to be on this panel with all of you, Jackson, Zaya, Austin. Like this is I would I cannot think of uh, better people to have had this discussion with. Stewart is also going to be on the panel, and, and I'm very glad to have him there. It was a last-minute edition, and uh, we're really glad to have him there as well. He's on, on the uh, on the Young Critics panel. So there's there's your love, Stewart. Um, okay, so um, Jackson, Heather, Zaya, thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're going to go ahead and and, uh, and turn off the stream, and and uh, and uh, that's it. Thank you very much. Uh, we All will right. be playing dog days. The game, the <laughs> play Final Fantasy VIII, play near. Um, <laughs> do, 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 do people want to like say where they write or are, so people know where oh, we are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, wow, I can't believe I forgot. I was to gonna post myself. it in the chat. Yeah, I am. Um, I am Austin. I am out on Twitter at Austin C. Howe, and um, I am also on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/CriticalSwish. So, so uh, Patreon slash Critical Switch. There we oh, go. you're gonna get banned from chat. Nope. Look how I did it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and, and I and I really could use some money. So <laughs> if you could hit me up, that would be great. And uh, and uh, y'all can uh, y'all can do your Twitter handles, and then we'll wrap this up. Go for it, Jackson. Oh, oh okay. Uh, I am at Headfuls Off on Twitter. I write at abnormalmapping.com, and I am doing a GoFundMe to try to replace my equipment and also write a Metal Gear Solid book. I will put the link in the chat. That would be cool because I also we everyone here is poor. We're all poor. It's fun. We live good lives. <laughs> it's great. Uh, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> and uh, Zaya. Okay. Uh, I'm Zaya, and I tweet at. 
at wound ww mm-hmm. people in chat were very excited to hear me say that for some Wound-woo. reason Wound. Wound. Mm-hmm. and uh heather Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, I'm at transgamerthink on Twitter. I'll post that in the chat. And then my website is transgamerthoughts.com. Cool. That's everything. And, uh, thank you all for, thank you all for being here. We really appreciate it. And, uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Back wasn't that a hilarious time? Ho ho ho! So let's talk about everything wrong with that panel. <laughs> That's not wow. actually what we're doing here. Whoa! Whoa! Way, way to throw Whoa. everyone over the under the bus. Over the bus? Let's throw them over the bus. Throw That'd be great. Them, throw them over. It's harder. It's more. Yeah, it's more impressive to throw them over the bus. I agree. It's better on your cap. Actually, probably not as bad for them though. I don't know. I guess it depends on where they're landing. Over a bus and under another bus. Ah, uh, that's that's the comedy version of this. Well, you wait all day for one and two come along at once. So. Oh, okay, I I don't I don't take the bus. Oh, it's okay. You don't live in the UK where the buses are everywhere. Mhm. Those double decker buses real? Yeah. Why well, wouldn't they have them anymore? I, I yeah I thought they. Didn't have them anymore. They discontinued the version of them called the Routemaster buses, which are ones that don't have doors, so you can just get on and off whatever. Like they're the okay. ones that had to, like they had to employ a conductor to go and get tickets from everybody. Now you just pay as you get on to the driver. Okay. And everyone was sad because you could just fucking steal bus journeys with them all the time. <laughs> it was great. Um. Yep. Yeah. Uh. So mental health. Mental health. Yeah. We were, we were ready to do this, and now it's been two days since the panel, and I've forgotten everything. So I hope. No, okay. So this. one of the things we wanted to like, one of the reasons we wanted to do this is, uh, I think we both felt that on some level, some of that panel got sidetracked into like, almost like empathy through systems and not mental illness talk. Yeah, the, the, like we followed the direction of the conversation, which I think was interesting. Uh, but yeah. a lot of the talk, like I don't consider Final Fantasy VIII to be a game about mental illness i know that there's like a lot of nor do i it's there's the ways to relate to it through that lens uh if you sure, have mental illness like, and you see yourself in school or whatever uh but as jackson as your writing can attest it is possible to project your own stuff into everything you do exactly um and i think that's an important thing to talk about but i 
uh, like there are areas I wanted to get to that I didn't, so I'd like to get to them now. Okay, um, I guess I'll start off. I was amazed that you guys went for like ninety minutes, right? <laughs> ninety minutes, and we didn't long. once. Didn't and once. nobody said the words Silent Hill. <laughs> <laughs> I've never played Silent Hill, so I'm passing the buck. So you did. You guys did talk about how genre is, uh, like how genre presents mental illness and how often that can be like a really troubling, murky thing. Um, but that uh, I think it was Austin who said that stuff's still really vital because of its imperfections, uh, because it comes from like this place where it's not trying to like be this pristine narrative. And Silent Hill to me is that entirely where it is these very broken people projected through like sexy murderous nurses and pyramid head. Mm hmm. Uh, but to the extent that which Silent Hill, specific, Silent uh, Hill two. sorry, specifically two, yeah. yeah, um, we probably could talk about Shattered Memories here, but we haven't played it. Uh, it's by the guy What Made Her Story, which you can check out last episode for our Her Story talk. Sam Barlow. That gets brought up. Yeah, that gets brought up in the panel. Uh, and I don't, I don't feel like we need to reiterate because everything to be said, I think we said in our episode, but uh. Yeah, um, Silent Hill 2 is uh, about this person who has committed this, like, maybe they've committed this horrible act, but has a lot of trauma surrounding it. And how, like, the subtext of that is that this, the city of Silent Hill is manifesting his projections of things that he's, like, dealt with as the monsters themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know Pyramid Whereas... Head re- represents something about James's guilt. yeah. And the nurses represent something else, and yeah, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. Um, and all of the characters are like various aspects, like the humans he needed, various aspects of either his past or his psyche in various ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's not worth getting into a big Silent Hill two talk here, since I've the only, I'm the only one who's like experienced that thing. But I was amazed it was not brought up. Uh, I think it's interesting that how little like old games factored into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe that says something about the state of what like small and alt games do today, um, but or also that people start talking about Metal Gear and Metal Gear like will grow to encompass any space you give it. I think Metal Gear Two's PTSD stuff is real. Oh sure, but if someone says Metal Gear, some oh, like Metal Gear. it's going to fill yes Metal Gear. <laughs> yes. Metal Gear? Much like the games themselves, that conversation ends up taking three times longer than you ever thought possible. <laughs> yeah, uh, I yeah we we did come back to Metal Gear a lot, uh, and it was Metal Gear and Final Fantasy VIII that were the big ones, and then Planescape mm-hmm. Torment as well. Uh, yep, it's weird because I actually don't consider uh the Dindara stuff that you that was talked about like a mental illness narrative in Planescape. Like none of that matters to me about that. I don't know if I would consider it a mental illness narrative specifically. I think you can read elements of that into it. I think it's this fantastic way of portraying trauma though. And that's all sure. you're talking about at that point. Mm-hmm. Um But like games that are interesting like we're we're talking about that are explicitly about mental illness like a depression quest was caught up was brought up actual sunlight was touched on but not really discussed you wrote 
a really good piece that'll be linked here about that. I know it's been long enough that you oh. don't even think of it as like a good piece that you wrote. No, it's but... been too long. And my relationship with good... that game is too complicated. It's 11,000 um, words. How do I do that? Why? What happened to me? <laughs> Jackson. Yes. Are you saying because are you saying that because it's so few or because it's so many? So it's so many. I actually don't know with you. <laughs> no, it's, how many words have you written about Metal Gear at this point? Shut up. I'm at <laughs> fifty thousand and I haven't finished yet. Okay. Um, but it's definitely worth le- linking in the context of this because uh, the discussion was good. Yeah. Um, th- I'm surprised like that game and Depression Quest and whatnot weren't brought up more. Well, the in thing the discussion. that I wanted to get into, which ended up being like not relevant to the direction the talk went, uh, was the idea of responsibility when uh, creating something that is like a very personal narrative to do with mental mm-hmm. illness. So something like Actual Sunlight or something like I'm Fine uh, by Rakashi Edwards that we've talked about on this podcast before. These are these confessional, painful pieces that are very honest and their value is in their honesty but with their honesty comes like a, a way of interpreting them in a very toxic manner like at the beginning of that actual sunlight piece i think i say that like the only time i have ever felt like concrete suicidal thoughts was when i finished actual sunlight hmm. and is that a hmm. good th- like it didn't last very long because i'm i'm not a suicidal person but when i finished that game i like there was a moment where i like understood it and is that a good thing? I don't know. It's a, it's like it's a tension because my, uh, the things that I enjoy, not enjoy, but the things that I find important and valuable about actual sunlight would not be there if it didn't go all the way. If it didn't just present this like portrayal of de- this depressed person as broken and hopeless, uh, like mm-hmm. like the value I take from that game is that it presents that as a real and valid way to be a human being. And so much mm-hmm. of the responsibility to be positive or have a positive effect on the person, um, like experiencing the work, leads to a way of erasing the possibility of failure. And I think that's unfair and dehumanizing to people who suffer from depression. So it's a te- it's mm-hmm. like it's a real tension, and I wanted to get into that and explore it because I don't like I don't know the answer. I am of both ways. Like it's it's a tension. You got to navigate that. Yeah, I think it's hard because, uh, I mean, like caveats here. I mean, it's the reason you guys do Goof Zone and I do not. You both have experience with mental illness and I really don't. Yes. But I feel like in many instances, it's people who have like come through their experience with mental illness who create narratives about it. Yes. Like, Like, I feel like the people who are just in it often don't see maybe don't see the point or don't have the motivation or can't like construct a narrative that makes sense to make a thing out of both i'm fine uh, and actual sunlight are clearly pe- made by people i'm fine is like the it. clear exception but it's interesting that that game is like a part one of stuff that has not yet like expanded outward mm-hmm. like i think it's really telling that that's the case um like a game just ends with there's more coming but it's been quite some time and more has not come uh they're, they're, they're... and like rakashi's fine but as, you know as someone who has like who tries to make uh art to do like that touches on my mental illness stuff or the like stuff mm-hmm. inside me it's very difficult it's a painful process when you put like yourself yeah. into something like that yeah but i wonder how much that changes the like tenor of the works in question 
Well, I, I yeah, I, I wonder like who because that's what I asked. I asked at some point in the panel like who are these for? What like what is the audience of one of these pieces? Like with mm-hmm. Depression Quest. Well, go on. Just no, now. go on. Oh no, 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 I, no I, <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> that like <laughs> I think it's a mixture of people who know people that are going through these things and want to try to understand it through a game mm-hmm. and um also people who are currently going through it and are trying to find like someone who understands them or something yeah. that understands them but i, I don't, don't i i don't know if i'd agree i don't i can't think of a mental health game made by someone who clearly like who announces hey i don't have this thing but i'm trying to write about it to understand it i don't no, know if those narratives exist they're not but like i i think depression quest is for people that don't have depression sure but it's made by people who did yeah, I'm not, try I'm, to advocate for understanding i'm not saying i'm not saying that i'm not saying that it's made by people who don't understand i'm saying that like mm-hmm. that there's a like a clear split to me in terms of games that are made like with the audience of other mental mentally ill people in mind and games that mm-hmm. are made with the explicit un- purpose of like trying to make other people understand like th- something like actual sunlight the people that don't have depression or like those kinds of thought processes are repelled by that game like i also think oh no sorry did you have more to say no. about actual sunlight uh well, i also think that it's kind of like i can't really assume that person making the work Mm-hmm. wants it to be something for other people it's more like them working something out yeah but i i like as i said the tension for me is like what is the responsibility to the audience on the part of any mm. creator yeah i mean actual sunlight maybe i'm fine to a lesser extent but actual sunlight is the key here because the things that game advocates come out of the place of a person working through that stuff, but most of them are actually really negative, bad, harmful things. And that's okay in the sense of like, this is a work that someone put out and authorial intent doesn't necessarily like the things that an author says in the work doesn't necessarily represent their actual stance as a human, like currently. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to speak to all experiences, but if like Jackson said, if you're a person with mental illness who plays a game like that, that is so wrapped up in this very self-destructive narrative that goes to such dark places, like, is that safe to put out in the world? Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, uh, cause like that's that, like you said, that game's the key in terms of it's the one where I thought about it the most and have had this tension the most because of mm. my reaction to it. And like, we've had long conversations like, I remember when you played it, you were, like, astounded that anyone would like it because uh, of how yeah. destructive the narrative ends up being. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like, I, I don't have an answer, but I think it's something really worth considering and thinking about. Because mm. there's, no, there's no right answer. It's just a thing. Yeah, I don't think there's sure. an answer. But, like, it's, it's really important, especially when you're writing, like, about your experience, but it's labeled as about the experience of having X or Y or whatever Mm -hmm. that you, that it's very clear to people that it's your experience and also maybe not representative actual life. Mm -hmm. Because I think the problem is people end up equating confessional works with reality. And that's not necessarily 
true. Like they don't have to be the same thing. Yeah. Uh, it's it's weird to me with with that game in that I like cons- like it is a confessional work about mental illness, but I also consider it like this political game. Uh, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like the thing that I think is most effective about Actual Sunlight is it's a really good uh, communication of the dehumanization of capitalism. Uh, mm-hmm. So, like, there is a way to totally come away from that game being like, fuck, we have to burn it all down. Let us get rid of this harmful system. Um, and that's, like, that's the most valuable angle, I think, that Actual Sunlight presents, which is a direct link to this hopeless state of depression and the, like, capitalist machinations of how the world runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to think of other games uh while you do that i did want to state that never any nightmares was brought up and i feel like got kind of short shrift none of us have played Um, it (laughs) yep um and this is a thing we touched on in her in her story but like the fact that it is like i think people write off horror games about like oh you go through a spooky asylum whatever as just those kind of manipulations of tropes, but that is a work explicitly made by someone with mental illness about their very particular, like sense of the nightmares they had and their experience with like dissociative reality. And I think it's really interesting in that, in that like, it's not a game of advocacy or empathy in any way. It just systemizes the truth that he felt in that time of his life into a thing that you can experience. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, like, I actually can't think of that many games that try that tact with that. Uh, I know, I'm told the Cat Lady is one of them. I don't know. Uh, I know that's mm-hmm. a game that people enjoy and think is important in this space. Uh, but I don't mm-hmm. personally know. Uh, I do, like, want to have more experience, not just outside of games, like, with horror as a thing as it relates to mental illness. Like, I'm too scared to do anything horror-related. But I think it's interesting how like it's clearly a place where mental illness is just made a token and just a set of tropes but it's, it's also a it's place I mean, with like also... these really yeah like it also has these really honest explorations of mental illness because it is able to like put the cover of being a tropey horror movie on them or horror game well, or whatever the reason you know it's a trope is because it's really terrifying if you can't tell fantasy from reality and if things are you know, the things that are in your head that are really horrible things become real. And um, I think that it's like a a valid thing to explore and it kind of makes me sad that it's written off as a trope. But as um, Heather, I think, was the person that said in the talk that um, the most problematic portrayals of this sort of stuff usually is the richest stuff to talk about. Mm Mm-hmm. I I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, like I, the like so much of from my experience, like horror stuff, or even like the scarecrow stuff in Batman, uh, or the entirety of Batman actually, like has this abstract concept of insanity as a bad and scary thing we don't want to happen, uh, and I see that a lot, and that's garbage. But oh yeah, but like so much of specifically talking about batman like mm-hmm. the games whatever kind of drop the ball and that sort of stuff but it comes out of a work that is entirely about the difference between batman as an actor and his villains as an actor as actors is 
in how they internalized their own traumas and then projected it out into the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually one of the really interesting things about like Batman narratives when they're done really well. Like people joke because Arkham, uh, what is Arkham Knight? Is that that new game? Because Arkham Knight's terrible that, oh, Batman's a rich guy who goes out and beats up the mentally ill. But the actual narrative is that Batman is like this person who has the same traumas as the people he's desperately trying to save over and over again. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't know, like because of his own trauma and because of the world they live in and because of the limits of what you can affect on another person. Like there's only so much that he can do, but he continues to do this grand tragedy of I'm not going to kill these people because I don't believe in murdering. And I'm also think everyone here can be saved, even though that costs countless lives. Mm-hmm. like i think like talking of batman just as a thing like that's a good example of something that if you look at it from a distance clearly has like uses mental illness as a bunch of tropes and is like really gross about it but if you like look within the entire body of work of batman which is a massive idea like some of them are gross and terrible but some of them are like really important to lots of people with mental illness and some of them mm-hmm. have these like yeah like if you see the way that uh lots of people have like latched on to harley quinn as someone who's being portrayed like i know so many people who like see her i i know isn't she like left the joker at some point and it's like this yeah. portrayal uh-huh. of the damage that you can't that comes from like getting out of an abusive relationship mm-hmm. and i know people latch onto that which like that wouldn't be able to exist and reach people in that way if like it was just a story about someone leaving an abusive relationship because like the trappings of genre make it more palatable to a wider audience and that's how those narratives get out yeah, and like for horror specifically, uh, horror is about mental illness because to many people, including people who have it, mental illness is a scary thing. Yes. Like there's problems with stigmatization. Like I don't need haunted asylums in my horror fiction, but you can do interesting, nuanced discussions of what it means to have problems in your horror stuff. Like look at something like The Babadook that's all about that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, or even something old like like Rosemary's Baby is about that kind of paranoia and postpartum depression and like what the culture imposes on people that causes them to like gaslight themselves almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it these genres bring out people who have these experiences or want to speak to these experiences also because I mean let's be honest I would take. A, like a dozen problematic horror movies about mental illness before i'll watch a beautiful mind again because that's a terrible movie good point <laughs> like, yeah i agree beautiful mind isn't the best um <laughs> cool <laughs> but sure but yeah but like it seems like the the forms of how we express the stuff is people write either like problematic messy but like really earnest depictions of an experience that they had or these kind of catch-all let's explain a thing and then make everyone go home happy kind of like very like i joked about this being a very special episode but very special episode movies about or pieces of media or games or whatever mm-hmm. i'm trying to think of more like game examples of interesting mental illness stuff that we didn't get to on the panel because i know there's lots of them oh i mean there's if you go through the history of the game the all games you've written about there are dozens of them Mm -hmm. yeah like the static speaks my name is something that i know Stuart wanted me to get to on that panel and i never could uh which Mm -hmm. is an old game i've written about i don't like that game at all uh 
Which one is that? It's a game about you go into the mind of someone right before they die. Oh, right. I played that. I don't like that game. I, well, uh, like, I think the part where it's a horror game is interesting, but then the minute it tries to be about, like, a concrete thing that exists, the minute it tries to define itself, I think it falls down and becomes almost like this really preachy thing that is, seems really gross. I think it's really gross because, like, there are moments in that game that are really empathetic and, like, really honest, and they feel... And they're put, like, right up against like making the idea of suicide a punchline and the like there's a duality in that game's representation of mental illness that is bizarre to me and i feel odd criticizing it like too much because it feels like someone working out like working through their own uh discomforts Mm. with mental illness and like by putting this distance in it and it's a very mean distance but it does have a distance in it like maybe it's easier for them to approach it but i think as a game it's like just awful in its uh, representation of suicide as an mm. idea and mental illness uh, i but then go ahead i just said i want to think about like games that don't portray depression like other mental illnesses i mean you could take a something like almost like 222 am or uh glitch hikers as a game about mental illness if you widen your reach wide enough yeah well that's just, i think that falls into the same category as final fantasy 8 as a game that has these like signifiers there that if you have this experience you can latch onto in a big way and it, that's totally a valid reading but that's mm-hmm. not like that i wouldn't consider glitch like as a capital m mental illness game mm-hmm. but like if you think of other things like schizophrenia is really hard uh and like every time it peer- appears in things it tends to be very tropey uh Kanan Lynch was brought up in that panel and uh I'll, I, I will play dog days because i want to i want to know yeah um but uh something like obsessive compulsive disorder seems almost tailor-made for video games and maybe like i assume that's what the cat lady's about i haven't played it mm-hmm. but well, um, well, as someone who doesn't really know what do you assume obsessive compulsive order to be disorder to be well i mean like i think the like the way that games instill in people a sense of necessity about loops like would systemize something like i think it would like as an empathy experience it would be really good at that i don't know if that's true in fact i think i really disagree with that because of the assumptions people have about ocd like that would that would just further the idea that ocd is just a need to do things or tidy things or like well certain kinds of ocd because not all ocd is the same yeah. yeah, like the, the there's a generalized sense of oh I needed like I can't let my room be messy therefore I have OCD like that's a thing that lots of people do and that's not true like I have OCD yeah. and it manifests itself in being like completely unable to let go of like these tiny tiny things like just obsessing on things and like oh. sure but I don't I don't necessarily think a game couldn't systemize that also yeah you're right and I think that could be interesting if someone tried to do that. Uh, I was thinking about like, has there been in games any representation of like learning difficulties or like uh, autism or something? Uh, I because I can't think of any myself, but there must be people trying to represent I, that. I think that I think that in particular is interesting because I don't think of something like autism as a mental illness. It's not. Yeah, it's, it's a neurotypical not... disorder. Yeah, like that. Like neurological. That right. would that doesn't fall under the purview. Like. Being neuroatypical doesn't make you mentally ill. It doesn't fall under the, the purview, but I think it's, like, when discussing this, I, I will understand why it's going to be in the same conversation. I think, like, uh, 
maybe discussing just mental illness is the wrong word. Maybe like we should just use neurotypical representation as the term in general. But like, I don't know if that's true because there's a lot of like people who are neurotypical can have like pride and try to normalize the idea of being neurotypical. Sure. Like there are people who are ad- like autism advocates, like, Hey, there's nothing wrong with me. This is just who I am. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I don't think that kind of narrative around something like depression makes sense though. Like people who are depressed can be like, don't stigmatize me. Don't treat me like I have like some sort of horrible cancer or something. But the whole goal of like living with depression is to learn to cope with and like deal with it or like find a way to have get help to be treated for it. Mm-hmm. I think the response is really different. Like some being some like something like neuroatypical is like almost like a like a disability. Like being blind. Like people who have like very like a sense of identity about being blind or deaf or something is how I think of something like autism. Yeah, I think lo- grouping that together with actual like chemical imbalance, mental illness stuff is really problematic either way you take it. Maybe. Uh, like, so I have, like, I was diagnosed with both depression and Asperger's syndrome. And I guess I, like, I don't know my relation to all those things because I'm still trying to work it out or by work it out, I mean, not really think about it. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, I think of those in those, those like similar places in my identity, but I don't know, like, I don't want to universalize anything. Uh, mm. and i don't know how much is like me putting things onto parts of myself because that makes it easier like i haven't considered it that much so mm. yeah i need to think about that more in depth but yeah i think i would like to see games that deal with like you know being manic depressive or uh being you know like anxieties both general and very specific like these things don't really come up in games that often i think cart life is like anxiety the game <laughs> Perhaps, but, like... It depends on... I don't know, because, like, I feel like the character, the um, guy that's newly immigrated to the United States, most Mm. of his mood is pretty upbeat, but then, Mm. like, there's this undercurrent of sadness. So I don't know if I'd call it anxiety as much as I'd call it, like, stress and sadness. I think cart life instills anxiety in the player, but... I think it's much more a political game than a mental health game. Yes, that is accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think with anxiety specifically and the way those systems are developed, like there are so many games that I consider to be games that like instill anxiety in me, but that's only because I have anxiety. Like, mm-hmm. f- like as an example for you, uh, this isn't like a mental illness thing, but it is like a specific to you thing. Like, what was nested? nested yep. like just you seize up and you're like i i can't i can't because it's just too much yeah uh whereas i just think it's just a bunch of spreadsheets well i mean we both talk about uh our reaction to that paris apartment simulator <laughs> which terrifying to before and it's literally just a 3d space in which you can walk around a very beautiful apartment but because of who we are it touches on our anxieties and like the sense of dread we both felt i think is a very real thing yeah and there's so many games that like latch into that with people, but they won't like communicate that to other people who don't like, already experience that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like threes. Threes make you anxious. God, yes. Mm, okay. The b- That's interesting. The board is I just up. think threes is boring. The board is filling up. The board is filling up. I can't. <laughs> 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 That's well, reaction of me playing threes. 
Got it. That's okay. that's interesting because I actually feel kind of that way about Tetris. But oh no, Te- the I've thing lost I like the Tetris. The, the thing I like about Tetris is that it gives me agency over a thing that should feel impossible. And that's yeah, that's kind of how I feel about those games. Like I have generalized anxiety disorder, and I mm. like both of those games. Oh, that's and I don't. Really they don't trigger any sort of anxiety in me but i mean like not to say one feeling is less valid than the other it's just interesting tetris I'm trying to think of a game that actually games that give me anxiety are usually just games where i'm being chased or followed mm-hmm. uh i think that also speaks to like the way in like games will always give a someone anxiety if they have less experience with that genre or set of like mechanics like I will get anxiety in games I don't understand yet, uh, because mm. I don't. I don't actually have that. I used to, but I feel like I've trained myself out of that. Yeah, it's a thing to like work through, but I totally get it sometimes. Because, uh, like, partially, like I, I give games the credit in my explorations of oh, I've never played this type of game before. Let's go see what it's about. Have allowed me like a sense of how how I can learn something that I don't understand in a safe and like constructed way, like self-directed. Mm-hmm. Like if I go into a game and like, I don't understand what anything does. Like I can, yeah, like a game will never like actually harm you in any way. So it's easy to feel out even if you're just bumbling through. Oh no. It, I can't distance myself like that. You see me play Mario. <laughs> yeah. I mean, worst comes worst. You just hit reset and start over. What? No, that's not what how can you have that distance it's really interesting because i actually feel like your zelda videos are exactly this uh, that i do just start over yeah and you're mostly fine about it like oh, that's you've cause... never been like really worked up about that game <laughs> in the videos i've seen so far there's one video that i might cut because i get too worked up uh like <laughs> one of the Zelda videos as recorded I don't know if it's going to be in the final video is like this thing I build up as has to happen or the world is ending and it doesn't happen and I like break on screen Aww. what thing is it? Uh, it's like I've been in this dungeon for uh, like over a week of episodes and there's like a big milestone moment and I'm like this is it this is the one we're going to do it and I get so close and I fall down and I just I don't know like the fact that I had in my head set that as something that had to happen like meant that I couldn't be I wasn't okay with it not happening and that's that's an autism thing that is like a rigidity mm-hmm. of thinking Asperger's like I have a diagnosed thing for, and I understand it but I can't work around it like so that that's mm-hmm. the reason that in a game if I die or if I don't achieve the thing I had decided had to be achieved, like it will have such a massive impact on me, even if I can just start again. But I do think in general, that the Zelda videos are better about that because I can just start again and record another one. Whereas with Mario, mm-hmm. once I'm done, I have to wait a day. I have to separate myself from the place in which I'm trying. Whereas if I give myself forever to try, I can like work up to it and work through it. I guess I. Uh, I mean, this is just we've talked about the philosophy behind our recurring videos a lot. Yes. So, and it's not maybe not worth going to on the mic, but 
I I feel way more anxiety about I'm going to waste three entire days of my life doing this thing as opposed to I'm going to do this 10 minutes a day for three months. Yeah, you're able to separate yourself when, you, like, if you do cost in about it and it goes wrong, you're like, well, that's done. I'll try again tomorrow. I don't have to think about it. Whereas I am just like, that went wrong. I cut everything. Like, my day is ruined until I can do this right. So I have to wait a day. Like, that's the way my brain goes. It's not a good brain. I don't recommend having my brain. Mm. All right. Um, I feel like we covered everything I wanted to cover. Is there anything else anyone can think of before we close this up? Yeah, I feel bad. I haven't played very many games about this subject, so I didn't have much to say. It's okay. Uh, you could just use the eternal excuse of "I wasn't even supposed to be here today." I wasn't even supposed to accurate. be here today. It's true. Yeah. It's very true. <laughs> I had other plans and they got canceled. Yep. I wasn't even supposed to be here today. You were. I was supposed to be here today. Yeah. Clerk's reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're done. So I guess, yeah, I guess that's it. Um, come back in two or three weeks to talk about Paper Mario. Um, that's already been announced. Uh, I've talked about it on Twitter, but I'm doing like a very small. I guess it's a zine of artwork about my playthrough of paper mario which i've completed at this point i haven't completed all the artwork yet but it'll probably be anywhere from i mean it'll be at least 16 pieces but it might be less than the 25 i thought it was going to be um of uh drawings and paintings and little mini comics and whatever and look forward to that it'll come out with the episode hype 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 uh where can everybody find destiny at fridge buzz now on twitter and badlandgirls.com and Jackson. Uh, at HeadfulsOff on Twitter. Uh, I am at HeadfulsOff.com. You can find everything I do there. Uh, Trashback Ratio is a movie podcast I run. And I do Goof Zone with Destiny, a mental health podcast. The most relevant. Which yeah. you can find at Goof.Zone. <laughs> Hooray! Uh, you know Abnormal Mapping. You can find us at AbnormalMapping.com. You can find me on Twitter at LitRock. Send us questions at podcast at abnormalmapping.com or, you know, whatever. Comments. We'll read comments, too. Cho's supposed to send us fan fiction or something. What? Um, oh, not our fan fiction. Okay, I remember now. No, no, no. Right. <laughs> uh, go, go to the YouTube channel. I'm playing Fallout. Jackson's playing Zelda and Lego Star Wars. Both video series are great. Um, I guess that's it. Donate to Jackson's GoFundMe. Please. Uh, let look. Enable me to ruin my life making Metal Gear books. Yep. I, if the videos run out and Jackson doesn't have a new computer yet, there's just going to be Fallout. So it's on you. Yeah, on I'm you. hoping hoping something comes soon because shit. No, no, not you. It's not on you. It's on the audience. Yeah, the listener. The listener, yeah. Uh, the videos that I'll be able to do if I get a new computer, I will start Morning Mario again. Uh, so I'll be able to play Mario three. <laughs> oh, I want I want to see that because the amount of miserable you're going to be is pristine. I love I love how much that you enjoy, but simultaneously are frustrated by my misery. <laughs> I, yep. <laughs> uh, I want to do a critical let's play of Mass Effect. The first let's play I'll do, however, is Resident Evil. Five episodes of which got recorded on my last computer. And let me tell you, if you'd like to see someone be terrified 
all the time and also bad I, at a video game the most the i saw a, only a very brief clip of this but let me tell you audience jackson freaks out at the opening like title screen <laughs> they, they, i didn't know there's a jump scare right there and they're like before i had started speaking Lego. Like, I, I was gonna let the credits roll and play before I introduce myself, but then no, they shoot the guy in the head. No, it starts with you just in full-on freakout mode, and it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So, GoFundMe. The link is in the um, description. Yep, and uh, you know, it's on his Twitter. On my Twitter. Go ahead, falls off. Check out uh, the best, the most relevant games Twitter of the three of us. How about that? Good point. Is that a compliment? No, not at all. Is it? I thought it was. No. no. For, for the listeners. <laughs> Bye. I don't understand. Bye, everybody. Bye. Shining on my heart